1: For thousands of years, human beings have wondered about entering the afterlife. Do we climb a golden staircase or walk towards a light? Is it a vast, expansive paradise or just an endless, meaningless void? Turns out it's none of those things. It's just me, waiting with my clipboard, ready to collect three questions for God. This is God Only Knows, a brand new podcast that kills its guests before they even get to say a word only to meet them as they step out of the eternal elevator and submit their three questions to God, whoever or whatever he, she, or it may be to them. Joining me straight out of the eternal elevator is Patrick Keelty. Hello, Patrick. Oh
2: Matt how are you doing it's
1: I'm good how are you I'm very good I'm Now, very good. um on every episode um we the guests have to introduce themselves so we have to fill out a bit of a profile about you so mm. can I ask for your full name
2: My name is Patrick Joseph Keelty and your occupation oh my occupations uh I suppose it's a comedian isn't it I yes I, I think mean not so more than
1: but yeah and uh, any notable achievements what are my notable achievements
2: um I, I, I'm actually Dr. Patrick Keelty. Um, yeah, I was actually brought back to Queen's University and they gave me an honorary doctorate for which I did more work for the honorary doctorate than I actually did for the degree. You can actually, uh, with a doctorate, yeah, you can actually put that on your passport. No. So I can actually say, um, and if I'm ever on a plane and someone says, is there a doctor on board? Hello. Just for a nosy, you can actually go and just look at a sick person dying. Oh, yeah. I this mean, like, you've no way of helping him. <laughs> But I said, like, well, you asked, is there a doctor on board? Oh, that doesn't look good to me. That doesn't look good. So that's what Dr. Keelty lets
1: you do. A notable achievements. I'm going to give you some. All right, hang um, on. Uh, multiple awards for all sorts of things. Um, sold out comedy shows. You present on Radio 2, The One Show, all sorts of things. Uh, you made a, a brilliant, I think your best work was a little chat show called Delete, Delete, Delete on BBC Northern, <laughs> Northern Ireland, two series, RTS nominated.
2: Uh, I, I think, to be honest with you, there was definitely, it was the production that brought that up, Matt. Right? Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Producer Matt White, <laughs> I've got the certificates. Uh,
1: and the uh, but um, but the thing that you've done most recently is you did a, an amazing documentary called My Dad, the Peace Dealer and Me, which uh, was remarkable. You won a Grierson Award, nominated for BAFTAs. It, it's a it's a brilliant piece of work. But you met Arlene Foster on there, and you said afterwards that you liked her. Yes. Because it was in a different context
2: or environment or. I, I think that sometimes what you do is whenever you're a whenever you're a stand up. You you use everything as material, mm. and whenever you are a stand-up that talks about the world. Mm-hmm. So if you look at some of the the best comedians that you've ever seen, they're people like you know like Steve Martin and Martin Short yeah, create yeah. a world, and they bring you into their world. Yes, Harry Hill brings you into his world. Yes. I was always I started out comper in a comedy club, so therefore you're t- talking about the outside world, and so you almost always see people as material mm, and you see okay. so so you don't see arlene foster the person you say well that's the leader of the dup yeah. what are their policies what yeah. do i disagree with yeah. she is the face of that and therefore i should be trying to mentally target what that is yes. and then whenever you sometimes meet the people yeah. you realize that that i i like Arlene. i mean yeah. if i go through what her party represents yeah. and the mistakes, I believe, that they're making in Northern Ireland at the minute, mm. there are many. Mm. But I can't, and maybe some people say, well, that's a cop-out. You, you can't separate those two things. But you have to, don't you? I think you have to separate those two things. Otherwise, we're not humans anymore. Well, uh, you see, I don't know. It it, it It's a thing of, it, you know, people talk about Tony Blair. And, yeah. and, and, you know, I met Tony, I remember interviewing Tony Blair in dining Street. Wow and it was whenever it was his last days in Downing Street and Bertie O'Hearn was coming over, and that was kind of post Yeah. So really the only thing that he could hang on to was the Northern Ireland peace process, mm. and I was told I was going to interview him for the Downing Street podcast, the website. Wow. This was before podcasts, Yeah. and I assumed I was going to be in a room with him, yeah. Bertie O'Hearn, and just at a mic. And because it was his last days, he had a film crew, following him around. Oh, wow. Because it was Bertie Ahern. it was the Irish Prime Minister, first time an Irish Prime Minister had uh, addressed both houses, both chambers in the UK. He had an entourage of about 30. Wow. The double doors open. I'm looking out over Horse Guards Parade and 60 people walk into the room. No. And the guy who said, who had teed me up for it just to be like a, a podcast chat. Yeah. Went, off you pop. <gasps> At which point you think, do I say what I was going to oh say? Oh my goodness! Or do I not? And um, and
1: also just much more aware, I guess, of the people around then, and, and being more so, like because because for example, like so, so you have an agent, you have you have a, a team of people, like anyone who does what you do, and um, I would feel very different doing something like this if and and your agent is lovely, she's one of the good ones, but if she was standing there, this becomes a different interview, really different.
2: So with two. Nash, international leaders and all their people. And all their people. And there was a guy from the BBC that I knew, a reporter, and he was in the corner. And so I started, wow. a, I started just asking them a couple of underarm questions. Yeah. You know, just, yeah. Oh, well, you know, I never thought, you know, that I would actually see Martin McGuinness and, and Ian Paisley together. And you could see them looking at me going, is this guy a competition winner? Really? <laughs> These questions are just so inane. Yeah. And then I said, so what's the difference between Iraq and Northern Ireland because obviously, you know, you're fighting terrorists in Iraq, yeah. but in Northern Ireland we some people would call people who are terrorists, those people are now in government. Yeah. Is it just a case of Iraq is IRA with a Q on the end? <laughs> And the guy from the BBC is in my eyeline, and I see this double thumbs up. (laughs) And then I said, because really, you know, I feel that what you've done there, Mm. and so you've made peace and brought terrorists into government, and that's how you create a peace. Mm. Um, Over there, though, these people are still the bad terrorists, Mm. and do we have good terrorists and bad terrorists? Mm. And I was meant to have 20 minutes with them. Yeah. And I, and this guy just walks into their eyeline. And he's over Tony Blair's shoulder. And he's kind of going, sort of wrap it up. And I said, well, today's not a day for speak bites, Prime Minister. But yeah. I can feel the hand of security on my shoulder. Wow. And I continued. And I think I got about 15 minutes out of them. Wow, that's amazing. But challenging Tony Blair yeah. on what I thought was wrong. And then... Two days later, I get a handwritten note from Tony Blair in through the door to say, Dear Patrick, can I just say, you're in the wrong job. Your interview was, you know. No uh, way. Yeah, and said, um, and then, this is classic Blair. so, So what he said was, I believe that uh, you were so incisive on this because, like me, you care about Northern Ireland Ooh, and the people. We're still campaigning. And, uh, there you go. And the, <laughs> and the face, right? But but it's that thing of separating the person yes. from what they've done and how you maybe disagree. Yeah. And I find that really difficult. It is really difficult. It's
1: really difficult. Um, let's Let's move on into what we're here for. That's...
2: Fascinating. Uh, is death something you think about a lot? I started thinking about death when I became the age that my dad died. Okay. And how old was that? 45. Wow. So that's a few years ago. Yeah. So up until then, you kind of think, and at that point, um, I then became a dad. Yeah. So suddenly you yeah. realize, you think to yourself, okay, I'm 45 and, you know, a parent here yeah. now and and isn't this great? Life's going to go on forever. Yeah. And then you realize you've outlived your father. Yeah. And maybe life doesn't go the way... You know, I remember after my dad was killed, and I went to see my aunt who lived in America, mm-hmm. and she said, um, I think you're dealing really well with this. We're really proud of you. But, and she's from South, uh, she's from West Virginia. So you're out in the port, just like a classic cliché, the yeah. sun's going down. And she said, you know, Patrick, the thing about life is you may not just have had your quota of shit yet. Wow. And at that point, you mm-hmm. think to yourself, oh, mm-hmm. because I kind of thought that because my father is murdered, if I actually get over this, this is my life challenge. That's it. And yeah. that's it. And then suddenly you realize, yeah. no, 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 no. The odds of something good or bad happening to you again are exactly the same mm. as before he died. Mm-hmm. So I think there, there's always that yeah. mortality thing. Yeah. I think about it a lot.
1: Mm. Well, I'm going to kill you. Yep. On this, okay. is that all right? Yep. I find that. Make in... it quick, Matt. Well, let's see. Let's see what happens. I'm going to spin the spinning wheel of death. Are you ready for what's coming? Mm. So this is how. This is what's brought you to the entrance of eternity. So all sorts of options. You might have been stung, crushed. There's a mechanical bull up there. Piers Morgan Let's appears. See, Piers Morgan. Yeah.
2: Piers Morgan on a cruise ship. I know, right? This is kind of the death version of Cluedo, isn't I, it? <laughs> Piers Morgan on a cruise ship with the lead pipe piping. Well, you got hit by a mechanical bull
1: uh, at Wembley Stadium. I mean, th- that's a fairly good way to go. It's a way to go, right? I mean... It, it, now, is this during a match? Well, I was going to ask you about this because you've done Soccer Aid.
2: Oh god, I have done soccer for right quite a few years. Uh, well, I, I did, and then I couldn't do it because one of the boys was uh, uh, was being born around the same time. That's the right, second yeah. son, and uh, and then Nicky uh, from Westlife, yep. who was a goalkeeper at yeah, Leeds, yeah, yeah. Uh, he came outfield, went in. And he's done really well, and yep. then you don't get the call again. <laughs> so you said, like, I, I love I love that Charles de Gaulle line where <laughs> I think it was at de Gaulle that said, The cemeteries of the world are full of indispensable men. Mm. And I kind of feel that you are never. You should never feel any level of self-importance yeah, because the world will just keep turning. Yes.
1: But some of the people on your team, like, so if you don't
2: know what soccer it is,
1: it's a charity football match, a mix of celebs and former professionals, so they call them the legends. Uh, some people on your team, you played in a team with Maradona, Zola. Yeah. You replaced Peter Schmeichel. <laughs> Ryan Giggs, Zinedine Zidane, Ronaldinho. I mean, that's... That's remarkable.
2: Maradona basically <laughs> pretended that he didn't speak English. When Maradona comes Brilliant. to England, he pretends not to speak English because people always want to go, Diego, hand of God, yeah, cheat, yeah. the goal, the goal. No. So I thought that he didn't speak English. And um and so we're standing in the tunnel and he's got his, you know, manager translator, you know, behind him. He's the last guy out on the pitch. Yeah. I'm the sub goalkeeper. So I'm not starting until the second half, yeah. which means I'm directly behind him. Yeah. And he's got his boots undone, and I tap the translator, and I, and I say, um, "Can you tell Diego?" I was worried. I, was, I said, "Can you tell Diego that he needs, he hasn't got his, he hasn't tied his, yeah. he hasn't tied his boots?" And Maradona says, just turns around and says, "You think I tie my boots for this shit?" <laughs> <laughs> and he played the entire game with just the the just the laces undone.
1: Okay, let's move on. So, Patrick, you've got three questions for God. Let's have your first one. Why do you pretend to be real? Oh, oh that's like an inception
2: question. <laughs> yes. It's like a real... Oh, okay. Where, wh- why that? Because as someone who grew up as a Irish Catholic hmm. in Northern Ireland mm-hmm. and as an altar boy, you assume you're... You're kind I'm not going to use the word indoctrinated. Okay. But, it, but you grow up in a culture where it is just assumed that this is how it is. Yes. This is how religion works. Yes. There clearly is a Virgin Mary. Yeah. The mother of God and anybody who actually doesn't believe in that. Well, what are you thinking? Yeah. Then you suddenly realize the problems that religion actually causes Mm -hmm. somewhere like Northern Ireland, if then you realise, or you think, you think, well, is it real? And then you believe the theatre of religion Mm. is very much like the theatre of show business. So if you look at why these cathedrals were built, why were these statues, these stained glass windows, it was to create a level of magic. Yeah. And Napoleon, I think it was, was, he said... Religion was created to stop the poor from killing the rich. Wow. So if you think about it, don't, don't worry, don't worry about what's going on now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In yeah. the next life. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so I, I, I struggle with it. Yeah. And I know I'm a hypocrite with it. I mean, I kind of don't believe in God. I don't think I do. Oh, what does that mean? Got married in a Catholic church in Rome. Ah. So, so I'm like, I'm a genuine hypocrite. So why did you get married in a church? Because basically we, we, we didn't want anyone to find out. And so if you're thinking about an organisation, uh. if you're thinking about an organisation that could actually keep a lid on, on a story... <laughs> I mean, who better than the Roman Catholic Church to keep something out of the papers? I'm assuming you didn't tell him that whenever you booked it. <laughs> well, that's the thing. No but, no, but I genuinely am a hypocrite. And that's why I'm not going to heaven. This chat with oh. God, well, this, this chat with God, well, this we'll chat get with God, if he exists, will never take place.
1: <laughs> um, so so uh, you've said he a few times
2: as well when we talk about it.
1: So is that your image of God? Is your image of God the fairly stereotypical white beard, white hair, old man?
2: My my uh, image of God is I I quite like the Holy Spirit okay as an idea I believe that sort of uh, the Holy Spirit is kind of the cantina of God go on it, he's <laughs> he, he's kind of he kind of is God but but he's he sort of he's here there used to be a chant of mine he's here he's there yeah. he is everywhere So um and so I I I think that uh, the the Holy Spirit sometimes gets a bad rap in this because mm. we actually see God as you know that the old man mm. or we see him as the young white man growing up in the Middle East because that's believable yeah. so I so <laughs> I I, I kind of see God more as as the dove from above on, oh, okay. On, um, oh, okay on Bob and Vic yeah
1: um you said about um you don't really believe are, are you how do you define or I mean you don't have to define but if you were to define, your position are you an atheist are you, are you uh, wh- what how do you define yourself I I
2: I believe in spirituality Okay. I believe that um, people praying to a higher version of themselves which by definition a higher version of yourself is a god mm-hmm. I think that's fine mm-hmm. so I and, and I think you have to sort of work out yourself. like my mum kind of looks at me now in a sort of a disappointed way mm. you know He's not going to mass anymore. Mm. You know, she'll look, I don't think he believes in, he doesn't believe in God. Mm. And I just said, I said, look, mum, if you believe in God and you believe in heaven and you love me, I'm in your heaven.
0: Mm.
2: I'm, gonna, I'm essentially going to be there by default if people who believe in God, mm. so I'm sort of hedging my bets. That's
1: good, that's a good thing to do. Um, if God was real, uh, what? how would you know? Well, what would God have to do to be real?
2: I don't know, mm. you know, you know, I, I actually uh, I don't expect very much from the God that I don't believe in. Yeah. In terms of, you know, if if I live a healthy life and my family are healthy and I am mm. happy, then kind of. OK, God, that's enough. Mm. But but I also I think blind faith is something which um you find this now, I think, which is sort of reflected in reality society, mm. which is that idea of kids just think that stuff will happen. Mm. And I think that kind of a form of religion, mm. which is, well, I don't have to work on anything. I mean, that's going to just mm. happen. And so I would always say your chance will come, but you have to be ready.
1: Yeah. Which is a bit like the conversation with your aunt. Yes. You hit that moment when you go, I've had my quota of travesty and devastation and disaster. And your aunt cuts through that and says you haven't hit that you haven't hit that quota yet maybe
2: not yeah and who knows what the quota is yeah
1: so Patrick let's move on to question number two which is is there really a special place in hell
2: I love this phrase (laughs) but It's like, it's, there's a special place in hell for Brexiteers. Yeah, well, there's a special d- yeah. place in hell for people that are holding on to, who bre- don't want Brexit. Well,
1: d- Donald Tusk was the most famous one recently. Donald yeah. Tusk and Taylor Swift are the two. He he said, um, although again, he was he's often misquoted because he actually said, there's a special place in hell for those who promoted Brexit without even a sketch of a plan of how to carry it safely.
2: Yes. And I believe that Taylor Swift said something very
1: similar. She Almost, almost as <laughs> poignant. Uh, she was actually quoting Madeleine Albright, who said there's a special
2: place in hell for women who don't help other women. You see? Now, I kind of think of all the people that are actually going to be in hell, is there a special place? Is there a VIP place? Is there a place where it's like, well, no, hang on, that's the normal suffering. Mm. But hang on, come in here. And I mean, you know, this is where the fun is. So there is a hell, is there? I I mean, I think there's hell on earth exists. Hmm. Um, I I think there could be a hell. Um, In actual fact, I'm not sure. Well, I think if you. Richard Dawkins Hmm. recently said that he thinks that religion is a good thing.
1: Yeah, I read this, yeah.
2: And I found this, I think, ooh, has Dawkins found God? But it's that idea of if someone they didn't if someone is being watched, mm. or they believe they're being watched, their behaviour changes. Mm. So it's the honesty bar mm. thing, mm. and I think then it's the carrot and the stick. So if you believe you're going to somewhere for eternity, mm. you see, I, I think that the reason why hell doesn't work as a concept is because no one can get their head around being. Somewhere Terrible Forever mm. I think if you say no 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 you're going to have to listen to you know these albums yeah there's, the, it's, it's, I love how you coach that just in case you have to play them on radio two <laughs> the next time you're on
1: <laughs> I can see it in your eyes
2: <laughs> I mean if, if Hell was more of a naughty step yeah where, where you know there's a special place in Hell that you're going to go to yeah 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 for a fortnight almost so it's that yeah. it's that prison thing yeah but I mean, we can rehabilitate you, you know, so so it's um, I find I find that idea where, where hell isn't enough. Yeah. The special place in hell.
1: Last night I went on Twitter, right? Which is yeah. always a mistake. I went on Twitter and I wrote special place in hell and ran a search. Do you want to hear some? OK, go on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, people who don't wipe down gym equipment after using it. Oh, you see. Right. Uh, people who dump an entire bottle of perfume on themselves before sitting elbow to elbow in an 80 person classroom. These people are very tense. Very niche as well. The, yeah, very niche. Uh, and people who play games or t- or do that, you know, oh, you know what gets You know, this is one. Uh, you know when people do like speaker calls. Yes. Like what? Like hold it to your ear. Get some
2: headphones. Do something. Just don't like you're facetiming on the train. There's a level of volume that exists in America, which is essentially everybody speaks at a volume, and a, and a level of confidence. Mm that you cannot sometimes ignore their conversations. And I, I I was trying to work out why that is and how it works. And it's a thing whenever we're speaking, hmm. and listeners will know this, that you can actually hear what we're thinking and what we're thinking next, because in this country we um uh and Irish people do it too where we speak and I was I was thinking off and you hear them think. Yeah. And then you go to California And you realize that all they're doing, they're not actually smarter. They're just waiting until they think of the next word before they finish the previous word. And you think, wow, that guy is so articulate. (laughs) And really, all he's doing is slowing it up. So there's maybe a special place in hell for them. Well, you live in California now. So
1: you... uh, you moved out there. Your wife uh, is very, very successful and famous out there. She's a brilliant TV host that most people would know. You're married to Kat Dealey and you moved out there and you have your family
2: there. How's that? Um, I generally find that as someone who is completely unknown, Mm. married to a huge star in America, um, you get very good value whenever you go to events. Mm. So when you go to something which is a red carpet thing Mm -hmm. and she's got that classic Californian blonde hair, tan, beach look and I'm sort of standing beside her and you can see people going oh bless bless let's make a wish let's make a wish she's, t- she's ran a competition on her website and this terminally ill man he was with, the most in need yeah this pasty white man with the bad teeth yeah
1: if there is a hell yes what would be in the special place? What would you reserve a special place for?
2: You see, I, I wouldn't really reserve a special place okay. for anybody. Egalitarian. I, I think that there has to be, a, there has to be egalitarian <laughs> suffering. All of you will suffer the same. <laughs> uh, it's what
1: Jesus would have wanted. It's what <laughs> Jesus would have wanted.
2: There will be no first class of suffering. There's going to be no red rope. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, so I, I think in a world where if you work in this business yeah. and you essentially get treated completely differently, yeah. once people realise that you are the host of the show yeah. or you're the person who's actually performing in the theatre that night, yeah, your life suddenly changes. Your yes. life gets upgraded to yeah. business class or first class, depending yeah. on where you are. Yeah. So I think a special place in hell for everybody in who works in show business is that, they're all the same uh, that they will have to suffer in the same class as everybody else
1: and 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 there are some some good friends of mine who are much smarter than me would talk about the fact that uh, that's why for some people heaven might be more like hell
2: exactly you see and so for me for me heaven is a bit like primrose hill hmm. i i don't want really to be in heaven because there's going to be too many people that I don't want to bump into <laughs>
0: For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call eight seven seven three five one zero three zero zero. 351 300 Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.
1: It's time for your final question, Patrick.
2: What is it? Um, my final question is... Uh, based on my performance so far, mm-hmm. what can I be forgiven for? Wow. Th- th- this is essentially the idea that people are judged by their body of work. Mm. You know, and I, I do it too. Mm. I mean, Phil Spector shot a woman in the face, mm-hmm. convicted of murder. I still have his Christmas album. Yeah. <laughs> that's really yeah it, it, it's like people go well I mean if you, and if you look at all the artists throughout the uh, the centuries that have yeah. created and you look at what they've done in their personal life and people go oh but I mean haven't you heard the music darling haven't you seen the painting Yeah. so I, I genuinely believe that if you create something of cultural importance you actually get forgiven for hideous crimes wow and so based on my career mm-hmm. I don't get off on a parking ticket <laughs>
1: How disappointed would you be if God worked that way? If that was the measure? If that? If like, If heaven was based on, sorry, you can only come in based
2: on, you know, the body of work or your success? Something I would quite like that. Oh, that, really? That, that, that to me, that, that to me would be, I told you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I told you you shouldn't have believed in him. So, so I, I, I think there's something weird about this. Mm. And I think there's something deeply unhelpful Mm. and it's also that thing of um, you know well do you forgive this and if you you know I I love the idea that forgiveness is the essential is meant to be seen as the highest level of tariff of altruistic behavior so it's that thing of well I mean if you can forgive Mm -hmm. I mean that is a great gift To your species. And and do you think it is? I'm not so sure. Mm. I actually think that, I think if you can, uh, if you can square a circle in your own head, so so Mm. rather than me saying, oh, I forgive what you did there. Mm -hmm. If you say, okay, I understand why you did that. I'm still not happy with it. Mm. But, I can get why you did it. And therefore I'm therefore making the I'm making the peace in myself. Yes. With what you've done. Okay.
1: Because I guess the opposite of forgiving is is that kind of unforgiveness thing. There's a there's a beautiful quote Anne Lamott says. Not forgiving is like drinking rat poison and waiting for a rat to die. You see. So there's if, something toxic about yes. carrying that. But what you're talking about is actually about releasing yourself. From that. Yeah. Which I guess is a form of forgiveness that maybe doesn't have that what we want, which is the big hug and the...
2: Right. And and so it's that thing of people always say, you know, oh, well, you know, forgiveness, you, you have to completely make your peace hmm. with the other person. You have to just make your peace with yourself.
1: Hmm. Do you find it easy to forgive? Do you hold a grudge?
2: I tend not to. Okay. Um, and I also kind of, can see why maybe people have done things, mm. and my memory's not good enough <laughs> to actually hang on to stuff. Yeah, because yeah. you know I've I've got you know, uh, you know people I know, and and they go, remember when they did that? They go, mm. don't no at all. no, I actually, no. I actually don't, and and I also think in our business there's a thing where whenever we see... It's the classic... That's the classic joke, isn't it? Where, you know, how many performers does it take to change a light bulb? It takes 10, one to change it and nine to say that should have been me up there. Mm. And I think that in our business, mm. there's there's very much a thing of, of, oh, somebody's success is causing my failure. Mm. And, and and I think I'm very much more, well, you got to just work on yourself. Yeah. If, if you want success for yourself, you got to work for yourself. Yeah. If you want... To, you know, I don't believe anybody has it in their gift. I forgive you.
1: <laughs> do you really, not, do you not, have you not, have you experienced that the other way? Have you, have you ever experienced someone saying, I forgive you and it meant something?
2: I think whenever you say, Look, oh, I'm sorry about that. Yeah. And somebody goes, yeah. don't worry about it. It's okay. Yeah. I think that don't worry about it, It's okay. Yeah. Most people don't go, Well, what do you mean it's okay? Do, do you mean that you, forgive? nobody actually takes yeah, it to the next level where they go, you know, I think whenever you realise that you've done something you shouldn't have done, yeah, and if somebody goes, it's okay. Th- that's okay. That. No, nobody wants to go to the next level, which is well. Tell me why it's okay. Okay, so you think? Okay, because it's people are comfortable with that.
1: Yeah, I guess for me, one of the things forgiveness allows you to do is to is to move on without it. It clears the rat poison. So yeah. I guess for me, it's a it's uh for me to I, I want to I reflect on that, but then I also then I guess I try and. I try not to talk like a preacher on this, but live in the freedom. But but there is something releasing. Please that. talk like a preacher. No, man. No. I, I like, it. I like <laughs> it when you do.
2: Uh,
1: but there's something about the freedom of it, I think, which I really like. And I guess that's what's interesting about this question, because I think forgiveness probably matters because I think it releases the person who hasn't forgiven rather than the person you forgive. Yeah. And so that's why I guess it's interesting. And having kids, you've got two, I've got one. I I always, I also know the what it feels like then to have that moment when he comes and says, I'm sorry, daddy. Uh,
2: and I mean, I, I, I know that when they say sorry to me, that they don't mean it. He <laughs> won't remember anyway. They, yeah. <laughs> if he's my son, he clearly won't remember. Do you find it easy to say sorry? I find it really easy to say sorry I, I actually think there's two there's two things sorry's a great word hmm. oh I'm sorry about that hmm. and I don't throw it around in a in a kind of a but it's a really good word because it just diffuses stuff yeah and also I think asking for help is a really good yes. thing so if so w- we, we sometimes have a language where we say oh Matt could you do me a favor hmm. and before the sentence the next sentence can be going oh God what is he Whereas if you actually say this... on s- my podcast. Patty, <laughs> <laughs> <Right. laughs> can you do me a favour? Uh, I'm working on something, I could really use your help. Mm. Mm. You get the same result, yeah. but it's... Uh, and you're almost asking for more. Yeah. But it becomes... Uh, you get a more positive result.
1: And that's about humility as well. Mm. So how much humility, I guess, is required to either ask
2: for forgiveness or to offer it? Are those two things connected? Uh, I think humanity more than humility. Mm. I think it's that thing of if you realise this is part of the human condition mm. and there's the if there's lots of people that will never well, I'll never forgive that. Mm. And you think go on, just give it a try. Is
1: And, it, and there's nothing you're not that person. You're no. not somebody who says I'll never forgive that. Yeah. So, yeah.
2: so you know, it's like oh, I'll never forgive them for this because
1: you were quoted around the time of the documentary you were quoted as saying I'll never forgive My father's killers.
2: No, what I said was, you know, somebody said, do you forgive them? Yeah. And I said, you know, of course you don't forgive them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of, you know, what what you do is you say, and and I think that that, that's a thing of in order to make peace with yourself. Yes. You say, you know, of course, these people did something terrible. They did something wrong. Mm. They went to jail. They were punished. You know, the idea of me saying, that's okay. Mm. I mean, I, I'm not in that place mm. because what they did is, is is still and always will be. And there's lots of people who would agree with this, mm. which is just, you've done something terrible. Mm. Can But if you carry around the attitude off, so there's yeah. something with, you know, I can't forgive those people. That's one thing. Yeah. But if that, I will never. Yeah. Then one is you're letting it go. Yeah. But you're not going to that place of, yeah. "Hey, I'm going to give you a hug." That yeah, was okay. Yeah, 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 Whereas if you're carrying it around with you as an anger, yeah, then that's destroying you. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying about about that going right back to the start of that, which is, is you know, forgiveness. I think is always as much for the person, yeah, yeah. who's doing it rather than the other person.
1: I think that is probably the best understanding of forgiveness I've heard on this podcast or probably in a very long time. I think I think you understand forgiveness, perhaps in a way that even the most religious, you know, the most forgiving probably doesn't because I think what they maybe talk about is the act. And what you're talking about is the release, the inner work of real deep forgiving.
2: And that's why I will be doing a thought for today on Radio 2 (laughs) every Thursday. Well, the the
1: dream is you present the show and I do the thought for the day. That's where we're heading towards, folks. You heard it here first. You've
2: heard our edition.
1: (laughs) Patrick, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really do mean that. Um, It's almost time to return you to the land of the living. Yes. But before I do, I need to know uh, one question. Uh, What do you think God would want to ask you?
2: What would God want to ask me? I think he'd want to ask me why I made the first series of Love Island. <laughs> and I think there's a special place in hell <laughs> for me.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, Patrick, that is it for this uh, episode. Um, the good news is that the bull was well padded. So they passed their health and safety. They'd done all the checks. Lovely. And you were up and at again in between the sticks. Back in goal. Brilliant. No time at all. Nobody wants to see that. Uh, Listen, thank you again. It has been an absolute pleasure. I'll be back next time to kill off another guest and find out what they want to know on God Only Knows. You need to know that as a boy who grew up, right, for the first bit of adult TV I ever watched was you interviewing people. I am more nervous doing this than I think I've ever been in my life.
2: Matt can I just say if you've actually seen some of my early work and the standard all of it <laughs> and and the standard that that reached Matt you shouldn't be actually nervous at all you should I actually am. you you should actually be thinking to yourself, ah, now being an interviewer, I realize. How bad Patty actually was no, in those days. Therefore, no, this Therefore, is, worse. <laughs> no, this, this is mess, Michael, because I've also produced you,
1: and I also know how good you are at it. That's the worst. If you were bad at it, then it'd be like, ah, oh, this is fine no problem at all. But the really annoying thing is you're really good at it.
2: I don't mean to be name dropping and sort of clanging them on the floor here. Love that. Uh, interviewed Mel Brooks last oh, Tuesday. Wow. And we actually went to his house. Yeah. And I had an intro written for him, like a really big yeah, up yeah. interview, and he just started talking and off he went and, and we it? were 15 20 minutes into the interview and there was that moment where i thought oh do i do, what, what do i do now because I, where's my first question yeah. how, how do, i was i was hoping i was waiting for you in my ear matt okay. to go okay, it's okay, Patty, fine paddy we'll actually put the we'll we'll put his intro in, in post i've rewritten the intro i've rewritten the intro I've rewritten the, it's just on, say what i say it's on the screen now <laughs> it's on the screen now i'm ron Burgundy. <laughs> uh, I love I it. i will say anything